0: Time to blow the trumpet in Zion. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress, brought to you by the National Prayer Chapel with Pastor Ray Greenley. White as snow. Sing again. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed me white as snow.
1: I can believe that Interstate 95 South will take me to Florida. I can show you a map and trace it out for you. I can give you testimony that I have gotten on 95. I have driven South and it has brought me to Florida. I know tonight that Route 95 will take you to Florida if you go that direction. How many of you know that tonight? How many of you plan on leaving tonight for Florida? No. We're not leaving for Florida tonight, are we? You have to work. You have responsibilities. So you know that 95 will take you to Florida, but you're not going. In other words, intellectual knowledge does not necessarily result in action. I can know that if I eat a certain kind of food, come on, ice cream, potato chips, fries, crackers, cookies, I know that if I eat all this good stuff, I'm going to balloon up. I'm going to end up with sugar diabetes. I know that. Will knowing that stop me from going home and scooping the ice cream? No. Because I will say as I eat it, I'll just have one scoop tonight. And tomorrow night, I won't have any. I'll do better tomorrow. But tonight, I want my ice cream. Tonight, I want my bags of potato chips. I want my crackers. I want my cookies. I want that burger I want what I want, and I'll do better with it tomorrow. Intellectual knowledge does not result in behavior change. You can know it with your head, but that does not make any judgment about what you are going to do. Something else has to begin to happen in the heart for behavior to be changed. Part of the problem that we're dealing with is that we always look through the lens of my feelings, emotion. What do I feel like today? What do I feel like doing today? What do I feel like not doing today? What will be the consequence if I don't do it? Can I handle it? If I can handle it, Don't sweat it. Let the good times roll. I want what I want. I know what I want, and I want what I want. So when I look at the world, what do I see? A bowl full of cherry. Never mind that it has pits. I just see the cherries. I don't see the pits. And so I think the world is my bowl of cherries. It's there for me. Didn't you all know? The reason you're here tonight is for me. You wanted to make me feel good. So you said, I'll go to hear Pastor Ray tonight because I want him to feel good. Isn't that what you all said? Boy, that's a, Radical shock. You mean you're not here for me? I thought you were here for me. You mean you're here for Jesus? You mean this isn't about me? Oh, how am I going to handle that? Have a bowl of ice cream. Right? When I begin to discover that it's not about me, then go get something that will comfort me and say that it's about me. Because life has to be about me. It has to be about me. And if you tell me life is not about me, then I'll go find a way to comfort myself so that I'm sure it's about me. So I expect you to be friendly to me when you see me. I expect you to speak courteously to me when you see me. I expect you to be very solicitous about my issues and my concerns. After all, it's about me. It's my life. This self-centered pride has to be broken. It's a lie from the pit of hell. So how do we begin to get at this? To break this? John, the 11th chapter. Lazarus got sick, and Mary and Martha thought, this is all about Lazarus. Mary and Martha thought, this is about our brother, and we have a friend. He just happens to be the son of God, and when we tell him, our brother's sick. He'll drop anything he's doing and he'll be here. He's got our back. He's got us covered. We can count on him. He will not disappoint us. They thought it was about them and their brother who was sick, who was in need of Jesus. But Jesus and the Father had already worked out what was going to happen as a final great demonstration that Jesus was who he said he was, the Son of the living God. And as they talked together, they said, who shall we use to demonstrate this? Because shortly after that, the Father knew Jesus was going to the cross. And he wanted to give a powerful demonstration so that there would be no excuse at the judgment that they didn't understand that Jesus was who he said he was. So they said, who can we use? And Jesus said, father, I know who we can use. My friends, Lazarus, Mary and Martha. We can use them. They will just absolutely submit and surrender and praise your name all the way into the grave. <laughs> oh, that's what, that's what Jesus said about Mary and Martha. The father said, okay, I'll set it up. Lazarus will get sick. And you'll get a call. And sure enough, the call came. Lazarus, the one you love. Remember, Jesus? Remember? You've got our backs. You can't let us down. You've got to work it out. Or some of you right now are saying things like that to the Lord. You've got to work it out for me, Jesus. You see the situation I'm in. You've got to work it out for me. Because I've given my life to you, Jesus. You owe it to me, Jesus. You know how I love you, Jesus. You know what I've given up for you, Jesus. You know I've given you my whole life, Jesus. Now the least you can do is come in and take care of my mess. Change what's happening around me, Jesus. Don't let me suffer. Oh, but you know, suffering plays a very special part in the heart of God. It seems that suffering is the only place that can cleanse us and burn the dross out of our lives and cause us to come forth like gold. Now, do you want to be gold or do you want to be tarnished and mixed metal? I sometimes thought that Jesus probably was making the streets gold in heaven because only those who suffered would walk on them. The streets of gold are only for those who have wept and suffered, and who in that weeping and in that suffering have turned to Jesus and said, Thy will be done, not mine. I praise your name. I worship you. I honor you. Have your way in my life. And suffering, of course, comes in several areas. We suffer when we begin to cut off the flesh. We suffer when we begin to let go of our darling sins. We suffer when we deny ourselves. I want that ice cream because I am hurting and that will comfort my soul. But of course, you recognize I'm not just talking about food. Eat the wickedness that's around you, suck it into your system, be a consumer. Eat the rebellion. Eat the hardness of heart. Just eat. Take it in. What God's trying to do is set up a deal to demonstrate before the world that you're his friend. And that he trusts you to come forth like gold. So there's suffering as we cut off this flesh. Then there's suffering as we walk on that narrow road and others are unhappy or upset because of the position that we're holding and they begin to speak in anger against us. They begin to condemn us. Curse us. This is persecution and it's suffering. It hurts our heart. Because if this remember is about me. Then everybody should love me. Everybody should approve of me. I Need to make sure my bases are covered. Everyone's in agreement with me. So it's very painful to turn aside from that and let people say the way you spend your money is absolutely crazy. It's stupid. Why would you be giving money for a radio ministry? Why would you be giving money to the church? The church has enough money. I mean, couldn't you use that money for a vacation? Couldn't you use that money for some new clothes? Couldn't you use that money for your housing? Couldn't you use that money for food? I mean, I don't know about you, but I can certainly find use for money. I mean, one pocket, it feels like it's burning a hole in saying, spend me, spend me. And the other pocket says, hang on to it tight. You don't know where the next dollar's coming from. I mean, it's that conflict we're always walking in, isn't it? spend it and enjoy hang on to it be be tight the suffering when we release all of this we start walking in the spirit mary and martha are suffering the lord is not there they hold a funeral and they're weeping and they're saying if Jesus had just been here this would not have happened this is Jesus fault because if Jesus had been here this wouldn't have happened And now I have to deal with it. All right, I'll deal with it. I'm tough. Let's get the people together. Let's have a funeral. Let's bury our brother. They have the funeral. It's now four days later. People are still at the house. They're very concerned about Mary and Martha. And Jesus shows up. He was right on time. He was right on time to accomplish the purpose that he and the father had for the salvation of the lost. Now, I want you to get this. What the Lord does in your life is not about you. It's about what he wants to do to save the lost. And so if you suffer loss, you are only being asked to walk the path that Jesus walked for the purpose that Jesus walked it. For the salvation of the lost. Now that you know that, is it all right whatever Jesus chooses to do with you? And no more complaining. No more? No more? I mean, intellectually, you understand this now, right? But remember, Just because 95 goes to Florida doesn't mean you're going to Florida. And just because you intellectually understand that God may now set up your life in such a way that it demonstrates something for the lost and dying does not mean you're willing to buy into that. So what are you going to do? Lazarus is dead. Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. She's got her theology down. She's been taught by Jesus. You know she's been taught by Jesus. You've been taught by Jesus. You have a great deal more answers than most Christians in the history of the Christian church have had. You've been taught better theology than most any people in the history of the church. You've had access to unfettered access to the scriptures. You recognize most people in the history since Jesus' time have not had access to the scriptures. It wasn't until after the printing press that it started to be available. Most people had to receive the word of God from the preachers and many of the preachers didn't know the word of God either. And spoke all kinds of foolishness. You are some of the best educated Christians. In the history of the Christian church. But that does not necessarily mean. That you are the holiest Christians. Who have lived in the history of the Christian church. Because knowledge does not equal holiness. Holiness only comes as we submit to the testings of God and our real metal begins to be uncovered and we see the dishonesty of our heart and the pride of our spirit And as that's uncovered, we have an opportunity then to cooperate with Jesus. She knows the theology. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live, even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who was to come into the world. Intellectually, she's got it down. She doesn't understand yet. I want to go back through that phrase. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live. That word believe does not mean intellectual understanding. It comes from business. The root is faith. And it means absolute action based on truth. It means being absolutely assured in my heart that this is true. And so I walk in accord with the truth. It's saying, you know that Route 95 takes you to Florida. You'd already be out of the house walking down Route 95, knowing you were going to get to Florida. Because Florida is where you have to be. That's life. In other words, Jesus is saying, if you will act, on what you intellectually understand and begin to step into it and let your life reflect what you already know but don't act on, you'll see my glory. The glory of Jesus is not for the intellectual believer. The glory of Jesus is for that person who acts on that intellectual understanding and knows that if they step into it, God will meet them. After she'd said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. You notice she does not say the son of God is here. Why?
2: Yes, Lord.
1: Because she has intellectual understanding, but she has not yet committed herself. She's willing to be friends with Jesus, but Jesus didn't meet her expectation. So now she's got an attitude. The teachers here, Not Jesus, our Lord. Not the Christ. Didn't say the Messiah is here. Teachers in. Maybe he'll teach us something else. What we need to do here is is to learn something. No. You don't need to learn anymore. You already know way, way too much. It's not a question of knowing. It's a question of acting. Mary reaches the place where Jesus was. She falls at his feet. Oh, I love her for that. Martha didn't fall at the feet of Jesus. It was always Mary who was found at the feet of Jesus. Now, I want to tell you, You're going to find that Mary comes and says the same thing. If you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Jesus didn't weep for Martha. He wept for Mary. Because when he saw Mary falling at his feet, he was moved to tears. That touched Jesus' heart. It also tells me that God does not touch our lives casually. He does not do experiments in our lives. He does not say, okay, here are some guinea pigs. Let's try something on them and see if it brings glory to your name. He is not analytical and clinical with us. He is touched by our infirmities. He's touched by our sadness. But he knows the only way to produce gold in us is to take us through the fire and while he's taking us through the fire, he'll use that to draw someone else to step into the fire. Is that awesome? That makes all my suffering worth it. The Lord Jesus is not going to let one tear of his people be wasted. He's not going to let one tear of sadness and brokenness be lost and wasted. The scriptures say he puts them in his bottle because they're precious to him. He makes his way to the tomb. And he says, take away the stone. But Lord, said Martha, by this time there's a bad odor. For he's been here four days. Now I just have a suspicion that there's some bad odor in some of your lives. And you've tried hard to seal it in. But Jesus never can rescue us in a sealed container. You know what I mean? He doesn't rescue us in a vacuum. He likes to open that thing up for everybody to see. Because he wants the miracle to be seen by all. That means I have to give up my privacy. Oh, now, Pastor, don't touch my privacy. Oh, we're such a dignified people. We're so proud. We don't want anybody to know about our troubles. Brother, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Never mind, I'm dying inside. Oh, we're private and proud. Confess your sins one to another. Pray for one another and you'll be healed. I don't think so. I'm not going to confess any sin to you. You might use it against me. Okay, Ray. You'll have to forego healing. Is that all right? No, Jesus, there has to be another way. Can't you just touch me in secret? Why do you have to make this thing public? It's my private deal. I want people to respect me. I want people to know that I'm someone who knows what they're doing. And if I expose this, everybody's going to scorn me. They're going to say, look at that fool. Or they're going to say, shut up. Be quiet about it. Don't embarrass us with your mess. Have any of you got any messes in your life that might be embarrassing tonight if we just pulled it out and put it on the table and took a look at it? Oh. As long as you keep that thing cooped up in the cave, it's not going to get healed. You're going to have to take out that stone and let that stink come out. You're going to have to lay aside your pride and your arrogance and your dignity and say, Jesus, you do with my sin whatever you need to do. I just need you to heal it and break it and restore it. Sin is always so much easier done in hiding. Secret sin is always sweet. Have you noticed that? You know you shouldn't. But you know you're going to. And it's going to feel so good. It's going to taste delicious. I can taste it already. Let me add it. In secret. Nobody will ever know. That's what the Lord keeps saying to me in my prayer closet as I pray for this fellowship. Hidden sin. Secret sin. There is secret sin in this body that stinks to high heaven. But you've got it so covered up with cologne, I can't smell it. But there's secret sin in this house and god wants to deal with it and you've been covering it over pretending oh i'm fine my family's fine how are you brother i'm great then why does the lord keep saying to me hidden sin secret hidden sin Ask me to release and uncover in this church the hidden sin. Got any hidden sin tonight? Think you've got a big enough stone over it that it won't get uncovered? Think you're going to get away with it? Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? That word believed literally mean, did I not tell you that if you stuck to me, you would see the glory of God? Did I not tell you that if you stayed upon me, you would see the glory of God? But see, I want to stay on that stone to keep my sin tucked away and hidden so nobody will know. I want to use my energy to cover myself and make myself look acceptable so you all will Please me. Fawn on me. See, isn't Pastor Ray a wonderful man? He's a man of God. You see the sin? You play to the crowd. It's pride. So we sit on our stones. We defend them with our swords. Anybody starts to get close to that hidden sin, we're going to kill them. I mean, don't don't confront me. Don't say anything to me. And so we get real brittle edges. You know, if. If you can make enough of a mess when somebody starts to get close to your sin, nobody will get close to it. Because they don't want to hear all the noise. They don't want to be embarrassed. Somebody think you're killing them. You know, so if, if I can throw enough dirt up in the air, make enough of a mess, nobody will mess with it. Isn't that what the octopus does? Get close to the octopus. He squirts that ink out. And while everybody's looking at the drama and the mess, he slinks away. (laughs) Sound familiar? How many times have you made a mess? Just to make certain. Nobody got close to your sin, especially God. And Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I know that you always hear me. Did you know the Father always hears you? The Father always hears you. The Father hears you. The angels of heaven, I think, must talk with one another. Not gossip, but they must talk with one another about you and me. They must say... Look at that character, Sandy. Carrying all of her bags. Or look at that character, Bill. Or look at that character, Ray. Or Jason. And they must say, Isn't it amazing that they don't pray more? Because they don't have what they need because they don't ask. If they would just ask, the Father would give it to them. Why don't they just ask? I know that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he would said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. Oh, I'm glad he said Lazarus. Otherwise, every dead person would have come out of the grave.
2: Lazarus. Come out.
1: Now the whole point of this message tonight is this. Tonight Jesus is saying to the National Prayer Chapel, come out. National Prayer Chapel, come out of your sin. National Prayer Chapel, come out of your hidden sin. National Prayer Chapel, come out. Be sanctified wholly and completely unto the Lord God of heaven. Be done with sin. Don't play in it anymore. Come out of that place of death with all the stench upon you. Now I want to tell you, when Lazarus came out of that tomb, he still stunk. Do you know why? He had all the garments on him wrapped tightly in these filthy, stinking garments of death. He still had all of this sticky stuff on him that they put on the body to preserve. He was a mess. He could never have gotten out of those garments alone. They had to cut him out of that stuff. It had already turned hard. Body fluids had leaked into it. He was a mess. Stinking mess. Jesus said, loose him. And let him go free. Right now, the Lord wants you and I. To use the scissors. To cut the garments of death from one another. The ministry in the co closet. Is releasing from the filth of the world. God's people. The Holy Spirit will breathe the life in. We've got to then pick up the scissors and set them free. Ours is a work of birthing if you please midwife midwifery if you please releasing captives who are now alive by the spirit who've been quickened by the spirit of God who now have to be washed cleaned up set free now you know what I'm saying That means you and I have to step out of that place of death. Because we can't do it for anybody else if it hasn't been done for us. And if we haven't stepped out of that empty, dark, dank, grave site. And some of you, you know what I keep hearing from you? Oh, I want to walk free in Jesus, but I'm afraid of the light. I want to walk free in Jesus, but I'm afraid of coming out of all my sin. What if I have to give up all my bags? What if I have to give up all those things I love? What if I have to give up those things that give me identity? Well, I thought you were being born again. If you're born again, you have a new name, a new identity. What I want you to hear tonight is that intellectually understanding all of this is not going to help you. You're going to have to take action. And it means getting in the prayer closet and crying aloud to the Lord and taking a stand by faith that Jesus Christ is who he says he is. And that he will use the pain of your life to bring forth something awesome and wonderful in the kingdom of God. That your life will be a living demonstration that others will see and they will praise the name of Jesus because they see you coming out of that grave, washed in the blood. Lord God. Would you bring the National Prayer Chapel out of the grave? Would you bring us out of that hidden sin? Would you break its power over our hearts? Would you set us free by the blood of Jesus? Lord, I take a faith stand tonight that the National Prayer Chapel is being sanctified right now. Lord, even those who are not with us, Lord, where they are, would you sanctify them right now by your blood? Thank you so much for joining us today. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress, brought to you by the National Prayer Chapel in Woodbridge, Virginia. Write to us at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195, or visit us online at nationalprayerchapel.com. God bless you. We love you.
2: I surrender Lord I give myself to Thee Fill me with Thy love and power And let Thy blessings fall on me